This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Payer Issues Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Robert Groves, Executive Vice President and Chief Medical Officer of Banner Aetna, a joint venture between Banner Health and Aetna. Dr. Groves, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. It is my pleasure, Laura. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Now, I know we've got a lot to talk about. Healthcare is just always changing and a lot happening right now. But before we dive into our discussion, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Uh, sure, I'd be glad to. I am uh, a pulmonary critical care physician by training, uh, spent many, many years in, in private practice, you know, seeing patients on a regular basis for both pulmonary diseases and critical care. And uh, since about 2005, I uh, was recruited uh, initially by Banner Health to roll out uh, the electronic ICU or EICU or tele-ICU, depending on which nomenclature you want to use. And from there, I uh, have had a variety of jobs at Banner. And then four years ago, when uh, Banner and Aetna decided to create a joint venture, I moved over to the role that I'm in now, which is, uh, uh, as you described, uh, the chief medical officer for Banner Aetna. We're an independently licensed payer based in the state of Arizona. Well, that's fascinating. And, you know, considering your role at Banner Aetna, what are the top one or two issues that are consuming most of your time today? Yeah, I, it would be a mistake not to mention the pandemic, because as you well know, we're, we're not out of it yet. And Arizona particularly has had real challenges with this last wave, Omicron, uh, in part because of the sheer volume of cases and in part because of staffing challenges that we're seeing uh, across the delivery side. And, and in wearing the Banner Aetna hat, I really have to pay attention to issues that are happening on the delivery side as much as I have to pay attention to issues that are happening on the payer side. Now, that's not to say that there isn't some good news there. Uh, we have significant advances in data interoperability with a partner organization so that we're starting to get real information that's uh, uh, credible for physician performance. So we're, we're, we're uh, finally able to take a close look, not only at the banner employed docs, but at the independent practices that form uh, 80% of our uh, clinically integrated network. And that's a much bigger challenge, but we're finally to the point where we're starting to get some really good information. So I'm excited about that prospect. But the pandemic is number one. I think number two uh, has to be... Uh, Gosh, it, it's still cost, isn't it? I, you know, we, we look at uh, what's happened uh, to healthcare over the last couple of years, and the pandemic has really laid bare many of the challenges that we face, not only as a society, but, but in healthcare. And with inflation coming back now, that's going to force people to make more decisions about where they allocate their money. Uh, the disparities uh, in income and lifestyle haven't gotten better. The pandemic has actually made those worse. So, you know, we, we've got a real challenge going forward to try and meet the needs of all of our members in society. And, and uh, you know, Banner Aetna wants to be part of the solution to that problem. And, and so we're really focused on how do we make this the most efficient delivery of health care possible? And that's a really great point and so interesting to think about, as you mentioned, just looking at um, from the health provider as well as the payer side of things, you know, the um, costs continue to go up, whether it's staffing or supplies or whatnot. And then 
healthcare is still trying to figure out how to, um, you know, deliver the care efficiently, effectively, and reduce the, the costs associated with it. How do you balance those two things? Yeah, it's really difficult because the pandemic has put almost every delivery system in the country, I guess it's kind of on defense mode. In other words, we uh, on the delivery side are so busy trying to shore up our staffing, trying to deal with wave after wave of, of COVID that there hasn't been as much time to devote to uh, the transformation of healthcare and, and not as many resources. For example, in the height of uh, a couple of the waves, uh, we had to shut down our meetings where we discuss our partners and how we're going to move this forward, what transitions we're making, how we're going to change healthcare. Those shut down for a month or so uh, with uh, a couple of the waves that we saw over the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, in one sense, the pandemic has accelerated the transition to uh, next generation healthcare. In another sense, it's delayed uh, that transition because so much of the delivery system is distracted, appropriately so, by responding to the COVID crisis. Got it. That's so interesting to think about. Now, in moving forward, what partnerships are you seeing as being vital for payers and providers to really transform healthcare? Yeah, you know, the first step, uh, well, the the premise, uh, the the one that drives me is it is my belief that for the most part in healthcare, we have good people who are trying their best to do their jobs every day. And their companies for whom they work are responding to the incentive structure that we have set up for healthcare in this country. And uh, those incentives don't serve us anymore. So we're looking for partnerships that help us drive to a different set of incentives. I think the only way we change behaviors, whether you're talking about big pharma, whether you're talking about uh, the delivery system or payers or or even PBMs, if we don't change the incentive structure, those behaviors aren't going to change. And we're going to be talking about this again in five years uh, in the same way we're talking about it today. So uh, partners who are willing to align their incentives to go at risk for what they offer, and that's really what we're looking for. And, and we're also looking for partners that can help us with what I call knowledge management. You know, 50, uh, in 1950, it took 50 years for medical knowledge to double. Now it's measured in weeks. And, you know, historically, the way that we have managed uh, complexity, uh, one is differentiation. And that's how you had all of the specialties blossom out from, you know, the, the primary care doctor to all of the specialties and subspecialties that we see today. But that also leads to fragmentation. Step two in managing complexity with standardization, and that's where you find expected clinical practices where a bunch of experts get together, agree on what to happen in a specific, ought to happen in a specific set of circumstances, and then uh, embed that in the electronic tools that we have in order sheets, et cetera. Well, today, what we're seeing is we need to go to the next level, and that next level is not only going to require accurate, good, near real-time data from all areas, it's also going to require artificial intelligence to allow us to sort and parse that information to apply it to individual patients. 
you know, what we are on the cusp of is the ability to really personalize our strategy. So instead of differentiation, which uh, leads to uh, uh, disconnection, if you will, between those various parts of the system, and in addition to that, and in addition to standardization, we need to be able now to get down to the level of the individual patient. And given the growth in knowledge management, and given the specificity that's required to do that, it cannot be accomplished without adding in a layer of artificial intelligence to help us manage that knowledge. That's a really exciting picture of healthcare that you're painting in terms of looking at the different data points that'll be available, the different ways that care can be coordinated and really personalizing medicine. How do you see that being able to be financed in the future? Is that you know falling into place or is that really um, kind of a, a big question mark and really executing on what's possible? Yeah, you know, it, it is a really interesting challenge that we're facing. I, I have uh, the, the, the good fortune of having conversations with folks from across the, the healthcare spectrum, including those that are in health policy. And, and I think it's pretty clear that on a bipartisan uh, level that there is a push more and more towards value. I, I believe that our uh, future really depends on what that looks like. What's the end game look like? I think most of us now also agree that we need some form of universal coverage. The question becomes really, how do you afford that? If we just lock in place the system that we have now, for example, if we don't do anything else and say, you know, Medicare for all, the challenge there is that it's locking in a flawed system. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think the uh, account uh, for the Obamacare, for lack of a better term, did for us is it put that camel's nose in the tent, if you will. There's no way that we can afford to do things the way that we used to because we did expand coverage. We did engage the individual market, but we really did nothing to control costs. So that really is the next big challenge that we have. And of course, there are two ways to do that. One is through really improving efficiency of our you know, our back office strategies, et cetera, so that we get the right care to the right people at the right time. Uh, and the other way of addressing that problem is by actually improving the health of a population. And so when I think about that, I think of what's possible today in terms of uh, adding uh, or the interface between technology and healthcare delivery. Uh, there's a company that we just uh, implemented uh, this year with Banner Aetna that has been able to show that one can put diabetes into a full remission with a, a strategy that engages patients to manage their own health. And what they call it is continuous remote care. I think we're going to see that increasingly applied to a variety of problems. You can see how it could apply to oncology, but let me define that first. So when I say continuous remote care, what I mean is that I, as a patient, uh, am in contact with a team of caregivers maybe two, three times a day if I'm in a particularly sticky spot or in, in terms of managing diabetes. When I first go on a low-carbohydrate diet, I need to be in close contact with a caregiver because as soon as I start to go in 
to what's called nutritional ketosis, my blood sugar is going to drop. And there are medications that I need to discontinue immediately so that I don't get into trouble with hypoglycemia. So this continuous remote care model has made possible what was before impossible. If you can't be in touch with patients that closely, and uh, if you can't get data, exchange data very quickly on a daily basis, you can't do this strategy. Uh, previously, patients would have to be in almost an inpatient setting to make that significant change in their diet if they were already diabetic. So I see that model as being something that we can uh, overlay on a variety of issues in healthcare, and and that also allows us to begin to personalize it much much more. Because when we're communicating with patients on a daily basis, we learn so much more about their lives. What are their challenges? Uh, what are their reasons for wanting to get healthy. And so that exchange of data, that connection, if you will, is what will drive actual improvements in health in a population over time. Dr. Groves, that's an amazing thought and and really just so much opportunity there. And I'm wondering too, from your perspective, where do you see the biggest opportunities for innovation in healthcare? Is it around being able to drive them more coordinated care um, and drive down costs and, and really optimizing things? Or are there other areas too where you really see that are ripe for innovation? Yeah, you know, gosh, it, it is a, a, a rich field of opportunity, frankly. I mean, there are so many things that could be done better in healthcare. Um, you look at uh, data exchange opportunities so that uh, there's not this fragmented, siloed uh, uh, system that we have today where some information's here, some's there, uh, and never does it all come together. We're trying to address that with, uh, uh, with a technology partner. So that's one area where uh, we have a lot of innovation happening. Uh, you know, continuous remote care, delivery system strategies, that's another area uh, where we see a lot of innovation. And you can take that to the next level and talk about, you know, how uh, our partner uh, CVS is looking at the health hub strategy, how uh, that allows patients to get the care that they need, uh, you know, in in bricks and mortar, if you will, almost anywhere uh, they live. You know, most people live within five, 10 miles of of one of their stores. And so, uh, you know, strategies like that are innovative. And you see Walmart and Walgreens and others doing that same thing. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the other strategy that I'm very excited about is this personalized medicine approach. Now, we've learned a lot about genetics. For example, we understand that genetics isn't everything. There's this other feature called epigenetics, and epigenetics determines which genes get turned on and off and how they're expressed. And so it's as important as genetics in determining how patients do. So that field is ripe for innovation. And then uh, beyond that, learning about behavioral psychology. What are the things that actually cause members, patients to want to engage with us because we are providing them services that they desire and in ways that they can manage and strategies that they embrace. And so understanding the psychographics of our populations, understanding nudge theory, those sorts of things, there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity in healthcare. Dr. Groves, that's so inspiring to hear. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a fantastic discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much, Laura. It's been a pleasure.